Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Thursday night share for Parshas Kisiso. Uh, it's also Parshas Par this week. I'm going to speak about something which has its roots in Parshas Kisiso, but really it's something which is as well on the heels of Purim, uh, not relating to the day that we call Purim, but rather to a practice that uh, some families and some communities have uh, to celebrate joyous occasions, to establish sort of like a mini yontification for the family. But we'll begin with a... Um, uh, Pasuk in this week's Sedra, when the Torah begin the beginning of Kisisa, before the uh, before the narrative relating to uh, the Chet Eagle, which of course is the uh, you know the most dramatic part of the Sedra and the aftermath of that, and by Echal and Hashoshemidas, but the beginning of the Torah continues with the theme that was developed that began to be developed in the previous two Sedras, Truma and Tzavah, uh namely matters relating to the construction, the functioning of the Mishkan. So it speaks about the Shemen Hamishka the so-called anointing oil, which would be used for the purpose of, uh, you know, anointing the Caleb and the Mishkan and the Kohanim and so on. And the Mishnah, the Pasuk, rather, tells us how, what ingredients, well, how the Shem and Mishkan is supposed to be made. So it says in the Paraglamid, in Pasuk, starting in Pasuk Chavav, Chavzayin, Chavches, Chavtes, Lamed, what the ingredients are of the Shem and Mishkan. The first thing mentioned there is what's called Mar Duror. Memorash, one word, second word, Dalad Reish, Vavresh, Mar Duror. Okay, uh, that's one of the ingredients of the uh, of the Shemana Mishka. The Ramban in his parish on that Pasuk and Pasuk Chav Zayin and Mardror, um, he says, um, the, the question is what exactly is, uh, you know, is this Mardror? I think in many English translations, they translate it as myrrh. No, it's not a fragrance, M-Y-R-R-H. Okay, uh, and that's, uh, you know, I think that's how many of the English uh, translated, those that don't transliterate it, actually translate it as myrrh. But the Ramban, uh, uh, you know, uh, his commentary on the Chumash there, as well as the Rambam, in Hilchas Kleya Mikdash, Hilchas Kleya Mikdash, Barak Aleph, Alach Gimel, say that the mar here does not mean myrrh, but rather some kind of a perfume, which is called musk, musk, okay, M-U-S-K, or Memvav Samach Kuf in Hebrew, uh, musk, uh, musk is a uh, fragrance that's extracted from an animal and, and not from a plant. And that's how the Benezra here on this Pesach with Mar also quotes from the Sajigon like that, the Barbanel. So many of the regular Mephoshim assume that Mar draw or Mar is a type of musk. It's again, it's an animal derivative. Sorry? Oh, it's an animal derivative as opposed to a plant derivative. Uh, people could mute. I think somebody's. Um, I don't know if everybody's muted. But, uh, okay, anyway. Um, yeah, so that's a question exactly what it is. Myrrh is a plant extract, you know, it's like an herb, uh, which, uh, you know, when you burn it, it gives off a nice fragrance and so on. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, some say that the, the, the Rivid, in his Hagasagas on the Rambam there in Parak Aleph, uh, the Rivid also says that it's, uh, it's Myrrh, Rivid Abacha here in Parsha Shmos, Parsha uh, Kisisa says like that. So anyway, bottom line is Mordor is some sort of perfume which gives the Shemana uh, Mishpah some kind of a pleasant type of aroma. However, there is a Gemara in Chulin, of Kuf Lamed Testament Bays, which has a Midrashic or homiletic interpretation of Mardror, relating not to the perfume, but relating to Mordechai. That's where the Gemara asks, Mordechai min HaTorah minayin. Where do we have a hint? It doesn't mean Mordechai is found in the Torah. It wasn't born yet. Okay, the Torah obviously is long before Mordechai. But the Gemara is looking for a Muslim and asks the question, same question about Haman, same question about Esther. Where do you have a remez? Where do you have a sort of hint in the Chumash for, for Mordechai? And the Gemara answers because this Mordror in Aramaic is translated as Moredachia, Meredachia, Mem Yosh Reid Aleph, Mem Yosh Reid Aleph, 
second word, Dalad Chav Yud Aleph. So Meredachia is, again, it means pure myrrh or pure musk, whichever interpretation you take, depending on your, on your take. But whatever it is, uh, it sounds and spelled like Mordechai. So Mordechai is hinted at in the Torah by this expression, Mordror, which is interpreted to mean Meredachia. Okay, it's a hidden reference to Mordechai. Obviously, it didn't, uh, it didn't happen yet and so on. But obviously, we'll need a little more understanding than that to understand, okay, you found the word, and what in the world does Mordechai have to do with the ingredients for the Shem and HaMishcham? And it's a nice thing. You happen to have a word in the Aramaic translation of the word is more or less the same letters as Mordechai. It seems like quite a stretch, you know. I mean, uh, you know, Esther and Atorah Minayin, so Esther, they, they find a Pesach, Manochi Hasater Astir. Esther means hidden, okay, a Pesach. It speaks about Hashem being hidden, and uh, you know, obviously during the Megillah time of Megillah Sester, the Yad Hashem was was not as blatant or as obvious in terms of the nace as other times. So you know, Hashem's name, as we know, is not mentioned directly in the Megillah. Okay, now we understand the reference to Esther Haman. They make a pasuk Hamino Eitz, right? That says when Hakadosh Baruch Hu confronted Adam eating for the Eitz Adas, he said Hamino Eitz. Did you eat from this tree? Again, what does that have to do with Haman? So again, people say because Haman. You know, he had all the people in the world. Everyone bowed down to him. One old Jew doesn't bow down to him. Big deal. Okay, forget about it, right? I mean, what do you care? You know, I mean, so one guy won't bow down to him alone. And everyone else is bowing down to So the, the, the rem is that, no, that bothered him. Just like Adam he could eat from every tree, at every which type of fruit and tree. One tree was told not to eat from it. Bothered him. You know, it got under his skin, so he had to eat from that tree. That's the connection to Haman. What's the connection with Mordechai and this uh, more drawer? Okay, so Rashi there on the Gemara in Chulandaf Kuflamites suggests that just as more drawer, as I mentioned before, is the very first of the ingredients mentioned in the Shemana Mishra, of the Shemana Mishra mentioned in Puzzle Mordechai, the first. Mordechai was the first, the leader of the Tzadikim or the Sanhedrin of his generation. He was the number one guy, the head, you know, the head person. Okay, possibility of more drawer, the first of the ingredients of Shalom Mishpah, so Mordechai, hence Mordechai was the leader of the tzaddikim uh, at his time. That's uh, his suggestion. Okay, um, the Torah Tamima quotes the Gemara in the Torah Tamima in this Pasuk, in Oz Memches, on this Pasuk in, in, in Shmoz, uh, where it says more drawer. The Pasuk is, uh, again, it's a parak, uh, Lamed Pasuk Chav Zion. So the uh, Torah Tamima in Oz Memches suggests he takes a step further. He quotes the Gemara Megillah, Daf Yudav Beis, which says that Mordechai is the head of all the Besamim, mentioned specifically Besamim. Besamim, a reference to the Tzadikim and the Sanhedrin, the pleasant fragrances and so on. So it takes that a step further than Rashi. The Marshah over there in Chulin, uh, on that same Daf Kuflam and Tesem Beis, the Chedush Agodas, he says that Mordechai, um, again, was the first, you know, the, the spiritual stature. So, okay, these are different things all having to do with Mordechai being the first. What's interesting, though, is that the Kedushas Levi, Levi Yitzchak Berdichev, the Berdichev, great Hasidic masses, says something else. And that is that the Geula, which was brought about as a result of the Purim story, that was the first of the first step, so to speak, of the Geulas, the first of all the Geulas, of all the Geulas. Okay, the Geula in the days of Mordechai was the head of all the future Geulas, the most prominent, because it saved the Jews of Mamish life and death. Right, I mean, other gulas, let's say in Mitzrayim, the Gemara makes this contrast. Uh, in Mitzrayim, we were, our lives weren't in danger, we were slaves, so we went from Avdus to Cheres. Okay, good. Went from slavery to liberty to freedom. But at the time of Purim, we went, we mobbed Lechaim. Haman wanted Lahashmi Lahargulabi, you know, to utterly destroy and eradicate and obliterate all the Jewish people. So it was like the the head of all the gulas, okay? 
And therefore, according to the Kedushas Levi, the remez is not so much to Mordechai himself, but to the Geula, led by Mordechai, okay? And that was just like Mordechai was the first of the ingredients of Shem Mishka. So that's the first, uh, the, that that miracle of Purim kind of paved the way for future redemptions. Now, the reason that's important is because it really gives us insight, in a certain sense, to the establishment of Purim altogether. You know, the Gemara in Megillah on Davzanam and Aleph says that it wasn't such an it wasn't such an obvious or open and shut idea we can establish a holiday. You know, the Gemara there mentions that we had other Nevi'im and other Nevi'os and so on. And you're not allowed to add a mitzvah, a new mitzvah, just stop in the belt around. You can't just add on new mitzvahs, okay? Um, even the Chachamim don't have the right to just make up new mitzvahs out of the clear blue sky. Most of the time, uh, rabbinic laws are designed to protect laws in the Torah, right? So we have a halacha and muktzah, you're not allowed to move a pen, because you may come to write with a pen. We have a din by Basra Chalab, you're not allowed to eat uh, poultry, chicken with milk, which the Torah doesn't prohibit, but they may come to then eat the red meat with milk also, which the Torah does prohibit. Okay, but here we have a, a new thing. We're going to make a holiday, and now we're going to make a holiday. We're going to establish mitzvahs. We may read the Megillah and the Gimel Shachmanas and Natanas of Yonim and Purim Suda. We have mitzvahs, you know. It wasn't such an obvious thing to establish Purim as a permanent yantif for all generations, but that is what it says in the Megillah, right? It says, the very end of the Megillah, it says, you know, this was established as a permanent holiday, meaning it's one thing to say, okay, that year I understand why they celebrated. Okay, they had a tremendous Yeshua. That year, the year of the Purim miracle, the Jews who fought on the 13th and saved their lives and destroyed their enemies, so they celebrated the next day, the 14th, or in Shushan, they fought again on the 14th, so they celebrated on the 15th, Shushan Purim, okay. Um, but But to establish a holiday for all time, with mitzvahs that are going to be, uh, which mitzvahs are going to be observed for all time. And it's not so pushy that, that it was allowed. And let's remember, the Beis HaMikdash was no longer standing. The Beis HaMikdash was no longer standing. Now, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, in the end of the first paragraph, or a couple of blot, speaks about a work called Megillus Tainus. Megillus Tainus, uh, really literally the scroll of fast, is a list, it's very possibly the oldest piece of Torah Shemalpeh to be written down. It's a, called the Bryce of Megillus Tain. It's available. It's not, it's not actually in the Gemara. Gemara references it. In fact, the most famous reference to Megillus Tainus is the, uh, is the reference to Hanukkah. When the Gemara asks on Shabbos, my Hanukkah, and it tells the whole story of Hanukkah, that's a citation from Megillus Tainus. What Megillus Tainus is, is a list in every single month. Okay. In every single month, the, uh, there were certain days when it was accepted in the Jewish community not to fast. Megillus Tainus means days which we don't fast. Because there were many Yamim Tobim. There were many Yamim Tobim. It wasn't Yantif, there was no Yisra Malacha, and there were no mitzvahs attached to but they wouldn't fast. The modern day equivalent would be, we don't say Tacharan. Okay, you know, little things, uh, they don't say Tacharan, right? I mean, uh, people look for excuses not to say Tacharan. Um, but uh, it's some, there's some sort of a holiday type, you know, association with the day. Some sort of a you know, a celebration, even mini celebration, they're like Lag Bomer, whatever, we don't say Tachanam. Okay, I mean, uh, you know, the Gemara has an expression called Gito Vyado Boin Kechad. This is a piece of Purim Torah. Gito Vyado Boin Kechad. You know, the Gemara says, how can the owner of a slave give a Shtar Shikhur, a writ of emancipation, to an Eved? Whatever the Eved acquires belongs to the other. Mashakona Eved Kana Rabo. So 
he can't give anything to the He doesn't have any ownership until he's free. But the catch twenty two, you want to give him this get shikhur, this star shikhur to re- re- emancipate him. But as soon as you give it to him, it belongs to the other one. So why is the expression Gito Vyodo Boim Kechad? His his you know his star shikhur, the document which frees him, and his own hand that now belongs to him and not to, happened at the same time. So I once said if you want to skip Tachanun, okay, especially on a Monday or Thursday, just make an announcement and sure there's no Tachanun. That simch itself well, generally, there's no tachanun. Right? Get the other board, kechad. People are so happy. Won't say tachanun. Okay, but anyway, but uh, anyway, this, this is in in, in Megillus Tainus. Uh, these are days, but they all had to do. They all had to do with things relating to the base hamikdash or to Yerushalayim. They won some battle, or they they fixed something in the base hamikdash, and it's divided up. The editions that we have now divided up into twelve chapters, one for each month. These were the days in this month. These were the days in that month. Okay, but these are days when you don't fast. Okay, but they all had something to do with the base hamikdash. Remember the Bayashani. Okay, but the implication is that you can't just make a holiday when there's no base hamikdash standing. Okay, the Gemara says after the korban of the Bayashani, the Gemara concludes in Rosh Hashanah, Butla Megillus Tainus. All these days are no longer applicable. We don't. We do say Tachan on those days. We would fast on those days. Okay, because they're butla. Okay, the exception is Hanukkah and Purim. Those are the only two works that are in, the only two holidays that are in Megillus Tainus that we continue to observe. And there's uh, important things relating to that, but beyond what I want to mention today. But in any event, all these other days are gone, right? Because they all had something to do with the building of the base, Hamikdash, and so on. Okay? And the Prichodosh, in Orachayim, is to Toft Tzadivod, to Cotton Bays and Osiodala, the Prichodosh writes that you're not allowed to institute a Yantif when there's no base, Hamikdash. And therefore, there is a question of how they could institute Purim. Purim was after the Churban Bayes Rishon, before the building of the Bayes Shein. There was no Beis Hamikdash, right according to the tradition, whenever Achashverosh said to Esther, you can have whatever you want, Archatzia Malchus Vesayos, etc. And don't ask me about rebuilding the temple, your Beis Hamikdash, your temple, and I'll give it to you. Okay, there's no Beis Hamikdash. So um, you can't really, how, how can you establish Purim? So it's very interesting, the Rabbi Yaakov Lorberbaum of Lisa, Rabbi Yaakov Melisa, was known by, I guess, his most famous work is the Nesivas, the Nesivas HaMishpat, which is a commentary on Shulchan Aruch Mishpat. But he wrote other works as well. The Nesivas not the only one. He's known as the Nesivas. Okay? I guess that's his most, uh, uh, you know, his most famous work. And the Nesivas, uh, he's called the Nesivas. We have a, an Arachayim, some called Derech HaChayim, a Siddur, Derech HaChayim, and other things as well. So we have commentary from him on the Megillas. Okay? Which are printed in the regular Mikros Kedolas, the regular Mikros Kedolas editions of the Megillas. Include his commentary. So the one on Megillah Sester is called Megillah Starim, Megillah Starim, Megillah Sesarim. Okay, Sesarim, the word Esther, hidden, hidden and so on. So it's called Megillah Sesarim. So the truth of the matter is that he suggests in Parak Tes, the end of Megillah, Parak Tes, Pasuk and the idea of that Pasuk is that when Purim was originally established, it seems to have been established as a Yomtev. You look carefully at the words of the Megillah, and the Gemara discusses this. In the careful words of Megillah, it says they established days as Mishtev Yomtov, okay, the days of Yontif, that they wanted to establish Purim Mamish as a Yontif. And the Gemara says, with Isser Malacha, with Isser Malacha, that wasn't accepted. Okay, Sof Kol Sof, that wasn't accepted. Uh, idea of making it, uh, you know, I spoke with the Lesmati Shabbos, Isser Malacha, okay, but, um, um, but, but Isser Malacha wasn't accepted. But they wanted to make it a Yontif. How could you make a Yontif? So the answer is because they thought that they were experiencing Aschal to the Gula. They thought that it was the first step. And what the Megillah Storm says, what the Nesivas writes in his parish on, on Megillah Sester is, 
that you have the you you have the right to establish a holiday a yontif if it's clear that it's a step towards the gula. Aschal to the gula means the beginning. It doesn't mean the redemption has has already happened. Aschal to the gula means the beginning of the gula. But if you're convinced that it's a step towards the beginning of the towards the redemption, then you're allowed to make it a holiday, even a holiday you'll observe every year. Okay, and the truth of the matter is, ultimately, it did lead to the binyan Bayashani. Okay, ultimately it did, because Koresh, according to Chazal, was the son of the product of the union of Esther Achashverosh, did allow the Jewish people to go back and build the uh, and build the Beis HaMikdosh. Okay, so in a certain sense, Purim was a step towards the binyan Beis HaMikdosh. That's what the Nasiva says. Uh, any time you have a day which is, can be understood as a step towards ultimate Geula, that's a day to observe. Now, this is not our topic today, but that's one of the discussions that comes up with regards to Yom Ma'ut. Okay, is on Independence Day. If we should assume that this establishment of Jewish sovereignty in Eretz Yisrael, whether you like the government or not, but it's uh, not an issue right now, all the politics, but whatever it is, if the establishment of Jewish sovereignty, which many people consider to be very significant, significant to Quartal Loha, that there's Jewish sovereignty in Eretz Yisrael, so if we understand there's Jewish sovereignty in Eretz Yisrael, so that's a step towards Geula, so then you have the right to celebrate the day that that was established every single year. That's one of the uh, justifications or explanations of Yom Ha'atzmut. Again, it's not our topic now. We'll talk about it at like, a different time. But the idea being that if we should assume it's a step towards the Gula, how do you know it's a step towards the Gula? Well, uh, Ramban uh, suggests, in his commentary on the Chumash, that there won't be more than two destructions or more than two korbanos. And if korban means lack of Jewish sovereignty, well, you have the two korban. So... There won't be a third one, so it means a step. Now, how long is a step? You have another 50 years, another 100 years, another 300 years, that I don't know. But it's a step towards the Gula. Anyway, so that, but that's what the Nasiva says. If a day has been established, it's understood that it's a step towards the Gula, then you can establish the other, and it's an establishment of the that you can observe every year. I once said, Alder Hadrush, you know, the, the, my own uh, interpretation of why we celebrate birthdays. You know, why we, the, we think about whose birthday is celebrated the Torah, only Paro. Yom Lettuce is Paro, right? They're not the best uh, example, right? When Yosef was taken out, you know, you know, was, was brought in and so on. Anyway, um, so Paro is the only Yom Lettuce. So why do we celebrate a birthday? So Gomorrah says, Mivamas, that um, the Gula won't happen until all the souls that are supposed to be born are born. Some place in heaven, all the future Neshamas are there. So until they're all used up, they're born, then the Ben David, then the Gula will come. That's the case. Every person is born. That's another neshama that comes down. So it's another step towards the gula. So you put that gemara together with this drush of the nesivas. So every time somebody's born, you can celebrate it every year because it's a step towards the gula. Okay, take that or leave it. Bottom line, though, that that's the point of the nesivas that, that they wanted to make it a full fledged yomtiv. And others say this as well. The chiddush world, the sasemis, has a discussion about Purim. Uh, usually printed after parshas tetzave and the sasemis al Torah. So in the tafshin reish lamed tafshin is divided up there by the years in which he gave those rushes. So he speaks about Purim, and he said, indeed, the, the nace of Purim was, was a sort of a step towards the binion of the Bayashen. Now, full disclosure, now, one agrees with this. In the both what the Purim didn't have to do with the Beis HaMikdash, but uh, many assumed that it would, uh, that, you know, that it has to do with the Beis HaMikdash, and that's why they could, they could establish Purim. Now, this would mean that, again, we'd have no right to establish any uh, any kind of celebratory day today not related to the Korban, okay, which like the Pichotosh said, that I said before, the Pichotosh is in tough say, Tarivom, or Chaim says you can. And uh, certainly uh, to to uh, 
you have no halachic significance to the celebration on the part of a family or a group of people, you can celebrate, but wouldn't have any halachic standing. However, it's very interesting. In Hilchus Purim, the Moharavram in Archimedes from Tuf Reish Peivog, towards the end of Hilchus Purim, the Moharavram writes, and he quotes one of the, of the early authorities, or early Akronim, Aramal Shachar, his Chuvasim Memtes. He says that members of a community have the right to establish a holiday for themselves or members of a family and a community, and it will be binding on other members of the community and the descendants, but it's a future generation will be binding, to celebrate a nace that they benefited from. They consider it to be a nace. Okay? And the Kafachayim writes over there in our Chaim Suntuf, Reish Pevav, the end of Purim, writes that some people didn't even do work. They treated it like a regular Yantif. Okay? And others said they would, they would, they would treat it like Purim. Uh, you know, and, and even fast the day before, like Titus Esther. And this is brought down by a number of postcards, the Chai Odom. Writes in Kal Kuf Nun Hey again to the end of Hill's Purim soon, Mem Aleph, and any individual in any community that experienced some sort of salvation, some sort of what they consider to be a miracle, okay, can establish that to be a holiday and um, it will honor this occasion and it will have the status, a meal on that day will have the status of the Mitzvah. That's the Yom Shal Shlomo. If you're interested in what days qualify as a Suda's Mitzvah, so the Yom Shal Shlomo in the, in the Baba Kama, Mark Zion, Simon Laman Zion, starts with the Gemara, it talks about Pidyan Aben, but uh, he has a whole list basically of what days are considered to be um, Yom Tovim, you know, again, the mini Yom Tovim, and what type of meal would be a Suda's Mitzvah. That's the Hilchas Avelis, what what would qualify as a Suda's Mitzvah. Okay, so the, uh, the Yom Shal Shlomo, Okay, and after Baba Kama, Perak Zion, Simon Zion says that any meal which is set up to celebrate a miracle Hashem has the halachic status of a Suda's Mitzvah. And the Shabura, and to the tough race, Zadi Zion, brings this as well. And the Chayodam, hi, what about the Prichodesh? Prichodesh said, we're not allowed to establish any kind of holiday. No person, no family is allowed to establish any kind of holiday in the absence of a Samitosh. So the Chayodam proposes, and it's possible, that the Prichodesh because he said it's not a Suda Smitza, a person, a family can do whatever they want, but it doesn't halakhically, doesn't have halakhic import, doesn't quali- qualify the holiday as a Suda Smitza, <coughs> or as a Yomtev, or the meal as a Suda Smitza, but the Chayadam writes that the Pichodosh did not have that Yom Shoshomo. It wasn't printed in his day. Pichodosh didn't have it, and he suggests that had the Pichodosh seen the Yom Shoshomo, he wouldn't have said what he said. The Pichodosh passed him when he passed him, but he would have, he would have, the Yom Shoshomo hadn't been printed in his time, okay, and, but one second, but the Bichadish quoted the Gemara of Rosh Hashanah, that Batla Megillus Tainus, after the Korban, no new holidays. So the after Mesamitaj, what does it mean? So the Chayadim says, yeah, that's not allowed to establish a holiday that's going to be binding on all Jews, binding on everybody. That you can't do. But a particular family can celebrate a particular day that they want, or even a whole community, even a whole community. Okay? There is a day, Lenny can come this, called Purim Frankfurt, right? There is a day. On the forefront. And there are others who establish certain days because of a particular miracle that happened, and they continue to to observe it as you know as some sort of a special day. Even uh, you know even generations later, even generations later. So um, and people call it Purim, and, and he mentions Chayyim mentions himself that his family, okay, uh, suffered. There was a fire that uh, came broke out, and you know. Lives were threatened, and maybe your lives were lost, I'm not sure. But those who came out and were saved from this fire, okay, uh, the Chayadim writes that he personally celebrates the, as a personal Purim, a personal holiday, a personal Purim. He has himself um, you know, to commemorate this occasion, 
and it says that he would daven and say special tilim on those on those particular occasions. Okay, now um, the others say others uh, others agree. It's not a not a one uh, it's not a one and out uh, idea. Uh, many poskim say it. The Malbim, in commenting on that same poskim, Milos Esther writes agrees that no new yontav can be established for the entire Jewish world today. That you can't do. But individual people, individual communities have every right to do it. Okay, the Chidah has a sefer called Shem Hagadolim. Uh, Shem Hagadolim is a two-part sefer. One has a list of all the Gedolei Torah up to his time, obviously, and another list of all the Svarim. Yichayat traveled the Chidah, or Shem Hagadolim by the Chidah. Chidah was a great Sephardi authority. Lived in Eretz Yisrael, but he traveled all over. He had access to tremendous numbers of Svarim and, and manuscripts and all kinds of fascinating things. So he has a work called Shem Hagadolim. So in the entry under Rabbi Novadri Bartanura, he has a whole uh, essay about this, and he mentions that the Rambam observed such a day. Even though it doesn't appear in the Mishnah Torah, but he mentions that the Rambam observed a personal holiday each year on a day when he came upon a Sefer Torah that apparently had been written or edited by Ezra Sofer himself. And that's based on which the Rambam copied the proper text of the Torah, the so-called Keter Aram Tzova, if you've heard of it, okay, uh, was preserved for a long time. Aram Tzova is Aleppo, a city in Syria. Was kept there, preserved there. Now it's in the Israel Museum. The whole books and written about how they smuggled it out and all kinds of vices, you know, the intrigue, politics, and so on. Anyway, but Chidoah writes that uh, uh, he himself observed such a personal holiday. The Rambam, I think, it was on Chofres Ir, which later became known as Yom Shalom. But that's the day that the Rambam celebrated. I think finding a safe Torah. So again, these are people instituted celebratory days because of occasions that they personally experienced. Now. The Chassam uh, Sofer is a chuv about it. Or Chaim Simkuf Samach Gimel. Okay, um, the uh, and he makes an interesting twist on it because he says, um, you know, we have days. For example, Lag Baomer. What Lag? What is Lag Baomer anyway? I mean, Lag Baomer is it's the it's the Yom Yilula Yartzar Shimba Yochai. Well, that was after the Korban of the Bais Sheni. Okay, or it celebrates the you know the. Um, you know, Rabbi Kiva, Talmidim, you know, again, all this was after the Chorban. So how do we have any kind of, anything special like Momer? Right, so that's one of the things that Chassam Sofer is dealing with that. And he mentions that he justifies this practice that some communities celebrate Yantif for some salvation, for some Yeshua, some families, okay? And what he says is that that which Sigmar and Rosh Hashanah implies, we send it the holidays related to miracles connected to Beis HaMikdash, we don't have it after the Chorban, that's only, he said, outside of Eretz Yisrael is different, okay? Perhaps it's different. It won't answer like Bomer. But he said, outside of Eretz Yisrael is different because we want to show that our Kodesh Baruch Hu, uh, did not abandon us in Golis. And that's why he said people will celebrate things to show that there's still, uh, that Kodesh Baruch Hu is still, still with us in Golis. But as far as like Bomer, you know, he writes that uh, it's okay, even, you know, even Eretz Yisrael. And um, it, it, it doesn't even have to be, he mentions his Rebbe. Some so was a Talmud of Nassim Adler. Rabbi Nelson Adler was his Rebbe, and he mentioned also his uh, his Rebbe always made a him on a certain day, uh, and that makes it a Suda Smiths as well. So again, this was a practice that people have, and as I said, there are still days that uh, are observed in different communities uh, nowadays. Um, I don't know, I, th- I think of Salvechik, I don't know whether he observed that, I think, he, I think I remember him saying he was somehow descended of Tosas Yontif. Yontav Lipman Ali Heller, the author of Tosas Yontav, and their family also had some kind of a day that the family continued to observe. So, 
Uh, again, this is done done in certain families if there was some type of Yeshua, and it's binding apparently even on future generations, even to the point of the Suda being labeled a Sudas Mitzvah. Okay, now you can make a Sudas Mitzvah without establishing it as a holiday. A, a person or a community can decide to have a Sudas Mitzvah without necessarily establishing the day as a day to be observed for all time. Okay, so for example, the Yamsul Shlomo there in Baba Kama Perk Zion Zion mentions that any Suda which is held for the purpose of giving praise to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or to publicize some kind of a mitzvah, that's a Suda's mitzvah. And again, he has a list of days where there's some sort of a joyous occasion. Not going to celebrate every year, but it will be a Suda's mitzvah. So we call a Shalom Zachar, or a Brismila, Pidyana Ben, the Seam of a Sefer, talks about Chanukah Sabayis, person builds a new home, okay, our mitzvah, all these things and so on. Um, you know, these are things where the Suda it's held on that day as a Suda's Mitzvah, although as a side point, he has an interesting uh, concept about the Bar Mitzvah, because he says the Bar Mitzvah is only considered a Suda's Mitzvah if it's Bo Bayom. That's the day the boy turned 13. Okay, many times they make the Bar Mitzvah a week or two later on a Sunday and have a big party. Well, that may not be a Suda's Mitzvah, because that's not his boy who didn't become Bar Mitzvah. Okay, however, uh, he does say that um, even if it's not the day that he's 13, uh, but if he gives a Dvar Torah, he gives a Drusha, he learns something, so then uh, then that would also qualify. So my point being, you can make such a day, even in the absence of the, uh, you know, uh, of, of establishing as a holiday for all time. It's also mentioned in the Chavos Yor and the Chuvan Simon Ayin, also discusses the parameters of Suda Smitzah, and, you know, the notes uh, with the Dvar Torah, then he'll become the Suda Smitzah, especially, uh, uh, he says, people listen to the Dvar Torah. That's a very different level. Okay, a lot of times you have a Suda, and nobody's listening to the Dvar Torah. Um, I've often wondered why it is that it, you know, in our, in our setup where we have it most of the time now, and I don't know, I'm going to answer. Okay. A bar mitzvah, you seem to have endless speeches. Right. Sometimes you go to bar mitzvah and there are nine different drushes and speak. There no, there no, no speeches at a wedding. Uh, sometimes a person speaks under the chuppah, but the suda, you know, very rarely, once in a while, I, 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 I can't think of too many weddings I've ever been to, including my own wedding or weddings they made for my children. We didn't have any direct Torah at the meal. And the bar mitzvah, you know, everyone sits down, they call up this one to speak, and that one to speak. It's an interesting distinction. I'm not sure I have a reason for that. Any event, um, the other thing to mention, I was kibitzing a little bit before about birthdays, okay? And I mentioned, okay, have a nice drosha from that in the Sivas. We believe that every, every, uh, that every, um, every, every child that's born is another step towards the gula because the Gemara says you're not, not known. Uh, the Mashiach won't come, the Gula won't come till every soul that's supposed to be born comes down to earth. So every soul that comes down to earth is another step. But there are a couple of occasions which um, are marked according to Halacha, a couple of birthdays. Uh, one birthday is that the Chavos Yor mentions when a person turns 70. Okay? When you reach 70, so that's considered to be a significant milestone when a person reaches the age of 70. And he says you should say Shech uh, Okay? He says, uh, you know, the person reaches the age of 70. Some people make sure at the age of 70, to, on their birthday, to buy, I mean, it's the Hebrew birthday, of course, but to buy a new shirt, a new something, you know, to, to say Shechiano, okay, uh, on the 70th birthday. doesn't mean the suda is the suda smitzvah. If you have a birthday party, unless you give a drosha and so on, okay? But this may be derived from Gemara. The Gemara in Moed Kotnav, Aleph, says that one of the Amoraim, I forgot who, I don't have the Gemara in front of me. And again, I apologize, I couldn't make sheets this week because of the forum. Uh, interrupted the schedule. By the way, the, um, but, uh, I forgot which one, maybe, I don't remember who now, um, made a, made a big, uh, big uh, celebration when he turned 60. 
Okay, because we have a tradition, the Gemara mentions there, that a person, that one of the one of the definitions of kares, okay, that you died prematurely, premature death, means you died before the age of 60. You reach the age of 60, you say, Yatsum Michal Kares. Okay, it could be other things, doesn't mean it's too great sonic. Okay, but uh, anyway, so some people celebrate when they turn 60. So the Ben Ishchai, okay, the Ben Ishchai, who mentions that in his household, the Ben Ishchai is in Parshish Re'e, Shonam Shona, Osu Zion, that in his household they celebrated birthdays every year. So they celebrated birthdays every year, but specifically 60 and 70, um, you know, they make it a special thing, and they would, uh, uh, you know, get new clothes or new fruits or something, would say Shechiyonu, and, uh, um, a meal on these ga- these days most likely would qualify as a Sudas Mitzvah. So anyway, these are some of the private, uh, you know, days. And they refer to them as Purim. Purim Frankfurt or Purim this family, Purim that family. Again, it's still observed, at least in some places today, and there's some major Yeshua. Okay. And now let's come back to um, the point that Pichodesh makes. You cannot establish a holiday for all the Jewish people. And the question is, Taka, what about, you know, establishing a day like Yom HaTzvot Yom Yerushalayim? So again, you could argue that it doesn't really have any halachic import to it. Okay. It may not necessarily have any halachic import to it. You want to celebrate and eat the blue and white cookies. Okay. You know, all right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but, uh, you know, it wouldn't necessarily have halachic import. It wouldn't a meal, let's say, wouldn't qualify as a Sudas Mitzvah according to this one approach. Okay. You want to mark the day, you know, think about Israel or watch some videos about Israel or, Whatever it is, good. Can I say eat blue and white cookies? Good. This coming year is the 75th anniversary, so I think we're in a community that is, you know, believes in, in the significance of the establishment state of Israel, so we should celebrate it. And so there will be a celebration, but be that as it may, um, you could argue the Yom Hatzmah has no halachic import. Okay, the issue of Hallel and Yom Hatzmah is a different story altogether. Okay, the issue of Hallel, you know, you know we, we, again, we don't say Hallel and Purim, and, and and people who I mean you can say hollow out of broken anytime you want you can say hollow out of broken right now okay but I'm talking you know to have some kind of a fixed hollow so that's a different discussion which I'm not going to go to now but in terms of the um, how do you how do you make a, a again so the whole Jewish world doesn't celebrate it we know that okay the whole Jewish world doesn't celebrate Yom Atzmaut I'm talking about the you know, observant Jewish world okay but how do you even have a half minute to establish a day the whole Jewish world against that pre-chronic? we said. No, if it's a step towards the building of the Beis Hamikdash, so I mentioned before, we have a tradition that there's not going to be another korban. But how exactly do we define korban? Okay, korban can mean the destruction of Beis Hamikdash, but there is a Gemara in Moed Cotton, and it's brought down the halacha by the Rambam and Hilchos Tainus and by the Shulchan Aruch at the very end of Hilchos Tishabov, where the Shulchan Aruch mentions the following. We're familiar with part of this din, we're not familiar with the whole din. So the Gemara says, Haroa Are Yehuda bechorbanam. If you see the cities of Judea, the cities of Shev Yehuda around Yerushalayim, in a state of Korban, you're required to tear Kriya and to recite a certain Pasuk. Well, we're for, then the Gemara says, and, Ram, and again brought down the Ram at the end of Hilchotinus and the Shulchan Aruch at the end of Hilchotishbub, it also says, Haroa Yerushalayim, Bechorban. You see Yerushalayim in a state of Korban, you again tear Kriya, say a certain Pasuk. And then you say, you see the Beis Amik, the Mokom Amikdash. That's what most of us are probably familiar with. Also, it's a problem with the fact that we tear Kriya upon seeing the Mokom Amikdash. Okay, you can see, that's a question where you have to see the actual ground. Some people don't want to uh, tear Kriya unless you can see the actual ground, so you have to go to Harazesim. It's another place where you can see the ground. Uh, others say, as long as you can see the mosque, you know the, what's on the ground, right? The mosque is suspended midair. You can see the mosque. Many people tear 
on coming down from the old city in the old city of coming down to the Jewish quarter, come down those steps, they make that last left. They come down the first set of steps, make that last left. There's a little go, pavilion or whatever there before you make that last left of the steps. So people tear Korea there because you can see the mosque, you can see the coastal Marami. Anyway, so, all right, that we're familiar with. So that I understand the word you see, uh, so you have to tear Kriya because uh, it's destroyed. What does it mean you see Ari Yehuda B'chorbanon? So you could say B'chorbanon means in a state of destruction. In a state of destruction. But that's not what the Mogad of Ram writes. The Mogad of Ram writes B'chorbanon means under non-Jewish sovereignty. There is no halakhic significance to a buildings in Ari Yehuda. Okay? I mean, there are houses, they're still destroyed. The idea of destruction there is not the destruction of buildings, the destruction of the city. It can be built up cities, but you see them under non-Jewish sovereignty. That's the definition of Korban the Mughal presents over there in terms of Ari Yehuda. Do we tear when we see Ari Yehuda today? We don't, because they're not under Jewish, under non-Jewish sovereignty, under Jewish sovereignty. The case can be made, and was made, that before 1967, you know, when it was under non-Jewish sovereignty, Sataka, you should tear in fact, there was some discussion um, in contemporary post. What was it? Uh, Twenty-five years ago, I forgot that. Whenever they gave up, you know, to the Palestinian Authority control over Beit Lechem. Okay, Beit Lechem, you know, where, where the Kaver is. So that's under that's part of the Palestinian territories, and so on and so forth. So there's a question that maybe now, if a Jew goes to visit Maras Machpela, or you go to, I mean, um, Kaver or you go to Hebron to visit the Maras Machpela, we have non-Jewish sovereignty over there. Maybe we should tear Korea. Okay, because now it's under non-Jewish sovereignty. I think the more accepted psaac was not to do so, because although they have non-Jewish sovereignty, the Jewish army can go whenever they want. They can take it. It's, you know, it's not a foreign country, so they do have some shlita, some dominion over that area to this day. Even though it's the government or the voting and whatever, you know, politics and other things are under non-Jewish sovereignty, but the Israeli army still has the ability and the right to go whenever they want. So it's still considered under Jewish sovereignty. So we don't tear Korea anymore today on Ari Yehuda. As a matter of fact, this was a contentious uh, point that the people had a tiny against art school. You know, I think art school has done some wonderful work. I'm not saying just because to work for them. I mean, they do some wonderful work, no doubt about it. But Rav Zevin, Zechariah Lebrach, Rav Shlomo Yosef Zevin, was a prominent Talmud uh, Chacham in the you know, mid to late 1900s, lived in Eretz Yisrael. Um, so he wrote a wonderful work called Hamoadim Bahalacha. Hamoadim Bahalacha. Article translated in English as the festivals in Halacha. It's available. And I recommend it to anybody. And I'm not getting any cutback, any kickback. Okay, I get no cut of this. But uh, it's a very worthwhile safer, in my opinion. It can be read by a person of the Tamar Chacham and who knows, you know, and read by a beginner because it really explains a beautiful and a gift of beautiful explanation. In fact, he's the one who founded the so called Encyclopedia Talmudis. Zevin was the original editor in chief of the Encyclopedia Talmudis. You know, it just came out with line 50. Okay. But anyway, um, supposedly they're almost done. They just have to get the money to print it, but they're, they're almost done with the, with the research. Anyway, be that as it may, so that was Rav Zevin. So Rav Zevin wrote a work, Amon and Malacha, and uh, in the section on Tishabov, he speaks about the fast days in Tishabov. so he speaks about this uh, din of Tarin Kriya. And in the edition that I have of the Mode of Zmanim in Hebrew, it says now that these, uh, Rav Zevin died, I'll tell you the story, he, he died, I think in 19, around in the early 80s, I think, the late 70s, I forgot exactly. Um don't remember exactly when he died. I just know that I was in Eretz Yisrael. I happened to have been in Eretz Yisrael, where he's Leviah. 
and um, you know they walked from from I guess from Gaula or Mayor Shar- uh, nineteen someone just checked it out nineteen seventy eight good yes yeah, so that makes sense that was the year I was in Eretz Yisrael uh, one of the years I was in Eretz Yisrael for the year seventy seven seventy eight so um, so Rav Zevin was Nifter and uh, they walked with his Aaron from from you know from Gula. Uh, you know, near Meir Sharm to Haramanuchos, where he's buried. And they walk through the streets of Shalom. You see pictures, throngs of people behind it, you know. So anyway, so I joined the parade, the parade of people, you know. And what they let you do is you come, you know, you can work your way towards the front, towards where the Arn was. And in Eretz they don't bury in a coffin, as you may know. Basically, it's just like a hammock, almost. You're wrapped like in a hammock, and, and, and you put you right into the ground. Okay, and then, so they have ropes or sticks with ropes on each side, four of them, people carry the urn. So if you got near the front, you know, so they pass it on. You could carry it for 10 steps or whatever, and then give it to the next person. You have a schuss of participating. So somehow I was able eventually to work my way towards the front, and I carried it for a few minutes. Then I handed it to somebody. The guy was behind me. And I looked at him for a second, and I, I, I took. I, he looked very familiar. He, he had this very, he was a short man, very thick glasses, and he was wearing a hat, and by the time I realized who it was, I was pushed out of it. It was Menachem Begin. It was Menachem Begin. You know, like I, I didn't expect it. I looked at him, but and then you know, then the uh, security personnel kind of like you know, gently or not so gently, like you know, got me out of the way, so to speak. But like for one second, I was you know, like I did a double take. I know this guy looks familiar. Anyway, so um, so Rav Zevin in his work Hamodim Alocha writes when he talks about this Indian of Tehran Kriya on 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 Ari Yehuda. So he writes, nowadays that it's under Jewish sovereignty, and it says, Ashrei Shezachino Lechach. Fortunately, we, that we merited this. Right? Again, he died in 1978, so it was after 67. He was ready, you know, ready under Jewish sovereignty. So he writes in his book, Ashrei Shezachino Lechach. So unfortunately, when art school translated that into English, they excised, they censored out that line, you know, because it sounded too Zionistic. You know, because it said, Ashrei, we're fortunate, we, what are you? Now, uh, in a different time, I I, uh, I asked the people I, was, you know, I used to work for art school. So, you know, Rabbi Zadowitz, who was the founder of art school, Rabbi Zadowitz told me sometimes these things are just business decisions. You know, because he said, I, you know, I was uh, I was working on Yerushalmi Shvius, and there's a lot of things on Shemitah from Rav Cook. You know, you're allowed to quote Rav Cook, and art school quote Rav Cook. No, you can't quote Rav Cook. You know, again, too 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 Zionistic. He said he'd love to quote Rav Cook. He said. Or if they'll do certain things, he said, all they need is a couple of signs in Yushalayim, Pashkavilim, put up in Yushalayim against them, you know, by these Kanoim, and then they're going to be, all the stores won't be able to sell the books because they're going to protest. That's uh, unfortunate, you know, you have the, the, the radical, uh, the radicalists to take over. You know, he said one time, he told me, one time the, um, um, the, the, you know, the art school books are always dedicated in memory of somebody by some family, whatever. So they write the Hakdosh at the beginning. It's a dedicated memory of so-and-so, you know, and the, so sometimes they write it. Sometimes the family writes what, uh, what they want to write about the, the loved one who's, who they're memorializing. So, and, and they'll approve it, obviously. So it, it said by, by somebody, whoever it was, he said it was Masur, whoever it was, was Masur, was given over, was very dedicated, Kedushas, uh, uh, um, Hashem or a Torah Ha'am Va'aretz. And our school printed, okay, what's the problem? So Am Va'aretz is a little bit of a Zionistic type of term. And he said, Rabbi Zadowitz said he had to take, he had to fly to Eretz Yisrael. He had to go to Eretz Yisrael to calm people down, that they didn't mean anything by it. And, you know, yeah, it's all kind of crazy. But it is disappointing. They did excise that phrase out, Ashri Zosinu Chach, regarding, uh, 
regarding the Ari Yehuda. But Lamaisa, we believe Asher Sekhilofa, so we don't tear Kriya. Okay, but um, getting back to our topic, so the um, we have the Ari Yehuda. My point being that Chorban means under non-Jewish sovereignty. So one can say, and the Beis HaMikdash, Chorban doesn't mean non-Jewish sovereignty, it means destruction. But what about Yerushalayim? What about Yerushalayim? Is Yerushalayim a din in the sovereignty, or is it a din, the Yerushalayim is a spillover from the Beis HaMikdash? So big nafkamina, would we tear for Yerushalayim today or not? And there are really two different approaches. There's some who say you should tear for Yerushalayim today because the Chorban, definition of Chorban when it comes to Yerushalayim is the absence of the Beis HaMikdash. I mean, you know, Beis HaMikdash, you, you know, you had to eat certain Karbanas only in the Beis HaMikdash, but certain Karbanas meat could be eaten in all of Yerushalayim, Kachim Kalim and so on, Kachim Yerushalayim and Pid and, and, and Maizu Shani and, and, and Karmavai and so on. So, so Yerushalayim has a spillover effect of the, of the Beis HaMikdash, and that's no longer here. And others say, no, Yerushalayim is a status of, you know, the capital city. It's, so it means it's under Jewish sovereignty. And the Minig, I think, is not the Tera. And I think it's a Sveik of the Dina, but it's a Suffolk on the other side of Altashkis. You're not allowed to tear. You can't just ruin your shirt for no reason. So the widespread Minig today is not to tear for Yerushalayim anymore because, uh, you know, it's under Jewish sovereignty. But anyway, be that as it may, what they do, you know, years ago, under the British, under the Turks, I'm not sure. But uh, be that as it may, it's, it's not. It, so the point is that the reestablishment of Jewish sovereignty, put it together, is a halachic concept. It's a halacha concept. So therefore, one could argue that if this is indeed an establishment of the state in Eretz Yisrael, a reestablishment, forget the state, but a reestablishment of Jewish sovereignty is of halachic import, so then you could say that it's proper to celebrate the day like Yom Ha'atzmut, because that was the day that the Jewish sovereignty was officially established, or reestablished, in, in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim in particular, and it was reestablished. So therefore, it's a step towards Gula, not, if we say, like the Ramban says in Chumash, there's not going to be another Chorban. Ramban mentioned this point, the two Tokachas, right? One was a Bayes Rishon, one was a Bayes Shani. So there's not going to be another Chorban. So um, so then, uh, then, then we're home free, that it's a step towards the, the, the Gula. Again, how big a step is it? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's maybe a baby step, and it may be a long while to the next. That I, that I can't say, but it's a step towards, uh, that, that's a justification. Possibly Yom smooth. There's a story that when... Um, you were shot, I, I um, forgot which uh, battle now. Must must might have been the. I think maybe when the when the Egyptians were near in in, in the Second World War, you know, Rommel was in Egypt, right? And then, and then, is that possible that the Briskerov was already in there? I've forgotten that. I think the Briskerov was already in Yushalayim. Briskerov, Velvet Salamis, was already in Yushalayim, and they were they were going to be firing and shooting in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, so, you know, Rommel was outwitted. Was that fox is called the Desert Fox, right? He was outwitted, and he never got to Eretz Yisrael. But Rav uh, fled Yerushalayim. I was planning to leave. Rav Herzog, he was the guy Rav Herzog, was the Rav she was there. And he said, we have a tradition, it's not going to be another Chorban. So what are you worried about? You know, there's a tradition, it's not going to be another Chorban. He said, I have another tradition. When they shoot guns, you run. <laughs> he said, that, that was my tradition. So, but be that as it may, the idea of a Chorban, you know, the individual may not be protected, even if the Tibur is protected. Anyway, um, but, uh, so therefore, if there's not going to be another Chorban, then the establishment of a state uh, or Jewish sovereignty in 1948 is of halachic import. It's also halachic import in terms of another din uh, with Maishashani. You know, how you, how you pode Maishashani? Maishashani has to be pode, it says Vitartar Kesev, it has to be redeemed on a valid coin, a coin of the realm. 
you pulled the Maisa Shane, you have too much Maisa Shane in the days of Maisa Mikdash, you had Maisa Shane, so again, you gave, when you had your field in the north of Eretz Yisrael or south, wherever you were, you had your field, so the first 2% of your produce had to go to the coin. After that, 10% was left, had to go to the levy. After that, 10% was left, depending on what year, but in years 1, 2, 4, and 5 of the 7-year Shemitah cycle, you didn't have to give that second tithe, the Maisa Shane, to anybody. You had to, you could eat it yourself, but you had to eat, the catch was you had to eat in Yerushalayim. And the Torah says in Parshas Ray, what if it's too much stuff? Say so, say so. It's too much stuff to schlep all the way to Yerushalayim. So the Torah says, it's our Tarkesim, you're Podem. But you're Podem, you bring the money to Yerushalayim, you spend it there. Okay? So today there's also a din, you're Podem on a coin. Okay? And what do you do with the coin today? You get rid of it. Okay, but the days of Mesa Mikdash, you should go and spend the money on food in Yerushalayim. It had to be on food, not on souvenirs. Okay? Anyway, or on hats or jewelry or anything else, it had to be food. But that's the Tata Kesef. But it has to be the Kesef of the realm. Okay, so if a group of pirates or, uh, you know, whatever, land barons, robber barons, whatever, take over the area and they mint coins, that won't count. That won't count. So you have to say, that, I'm not sure what the notorious character today do, but if they're Poder Maishashani today with Israeli Shkalim, means they do recognize the government. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to, maybe they don't, maybe they use uh, Jordanian coins. I don't know what they do. Or maybe they use uh, shillings something called the hold of the British time, but if they use Israeli coins, so again, the establishment of Jewish government does have, and, and you know, minting coins and so on, does have halachic import as well. So if that's the case, to pull it all together, okay, then the establishment of of of, of, of a Jewish sovereignty in Eretz Yisrael was, or is, has been a step towards Gula. If what the Siva says is correct, that anything which establishes Gula, or is a step towards Gula, you have a right to establish a yontif, not only a personal yontif, but as a front of all of Klai, so that you can do, even according to Pichodosh, you know, if it's a step towards the Binyan base mix, like the Nesiva says, like the Sassemis suggests, you know, then you can argue the Yomat Smot is, is, is on solid grounding as a day that you can celebrate and a meal perhaps ostensibly would be Sudas Misu. Now, Halal is a different story, but at least you yeah, understand that. Okay? All right, so uh, we'll stop over here. I'm sorry I didn't get to read the source inside that we got, got done a little earlier because of that, but Bez uh, Hashem, um, uh, I just want to mention also next week, next Thursday night, I'm going to be out of town. So we know she's next Thursday night, uh, the week of Ahakal Pakuri, Parsha Chodesh, resume the Thursday night after that for Parsha Yukra. Wish everybody a good Shabbos.